Welcome to The Rural Rockstar, a podcast dedicated to empowering rural women with the tools and inspiration to transform their lives and businesses from the inside out. I share my journey of Survive to Thrive in life and business, and I show what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I also interview other rockstar women from around the world to inspire you to do it too. My mission is to empower the next generation of rural changemakers to show up and be the leaders we need. I'm Katrina, your rockstar host. Let's rock. Hello and welcome back to the Rural Rockstar with your host Katrina Myers and today I'm joined by Steph Schmidt. Hello Steph. Hi Katrina. So lovely to have you here. Thank you for joining me in the middle of harvest and the busy time as it is for so many, so many rural women and rural people at the moment and it's it seems to be this very crazy, difficult, challenging harvest that we're having and we're going to get into chatting about some advice to get through that today and some advice leading up to Christmas, which I'm very excited about. But Steph is joining me from South Australia. Steph is a clinical psychologist and has done many wonderful things in her community and in her work and is putting so much good stuff out into the world. She's also the South Australian winner of the Rural Women's Award in 2020, which we'll get into talking all about that as well. And we're going to hear about Steph's story. And, you know, as I, I always love to leave the introduction really up to my guests so that they can tell their story because I love listening to people's stories and I know that our listeners do as well. So, Steph, we always like to start with how did you get to be where you are now? <laughs> tell us the story of Steph Schmidt to this point. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, yeah, it probably has been a little bit of a winding path considering I grew up in the middle of Adelaide, really, with no connections to farming, no connections to rural life at all. Um, and then finished high school, went to uni, went, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'll do international studies um, and kind of undenied my way around. And then while I was at uni, I worked at a pub, which South Australians will know called The Woolshed, um, which is the country pub in the city. And when I was there, I, I was 19 at the time and met my now husband one night over the bar while he was having a few Bundy runs. Um, and, yeah, the rest, I guess, is history. But, yeah, long story short, he lived about two hours north of Adelaide and I quickly, I guess, as you do when you're 19, <laughs> realised that I wanted my life to, to shift out there and went, okay, how can I make whatever I want to do fit in with living out in the country and I I'd kind of thought about psychology on and off like I've done some at year 12 I think it was in high school and then um, a couple of subjects through uni and so after trying a whole heap of different things at uni came back to psychology and yeah once I particularly once I got to the master's level where you get to do um, placements and also like research projects and just kind of went okay yeah no, this is for me um, so yeah after probably what was it four or five years of traveling up and down my parents were in Adelaide so that made it pretty easy for doing uni still and then I'd travel back out on weekends and stay back out on the farm. Um, I eventually finished my Masters of Clinical Psychology and we moved out kind of full-time um, up onto the farm which we now bought but we were leasing at the time so which is a, at World's End. Um, yeah about two hours north of northeastish of Adelaide. Um, yeah, and so then it was probably 
six or so years where I worked um, for a non-government organisation in Clare doing clinical work. Um, at the same time, we were really building our farm up. So he started, his family were pretty small, well, small farmers, but also very marginal. So they didn't really have much choice. Um, and his dad did a lot of shearing. And before I met Simon, him and his brother had built up their farm together. And then they dissolved the partnership around the time I came on board, um, which worked imperfectly. So we kind of then gradually built up our farm together through leasing, buying and selling a few properties um, to pretty much be where we are now, which is yeah, running a fairly large scale farm. So we're mixed sheep and cropping. Um, what are we? Probably about 15,000 plus acres um, across two main properties. So we've got our home area at World's End and then another farm two and a half hours away as well and taking on more leasing down there. Um, so we do a lot on the farm and, um, yeah, I often kind of go, I should just be content just to do all the farm stuff. Um, but for me, it's also finding a way to do me in there as well, um, as well as being mum to our three boys, um, which is probably why my psychology stuff comes back in. But it's it's an endless, constant juggle, which you know as well. Mm, yep, that's a lot. That is definitely a lot. <laughs> that's a big offer. And it's only often when I actually say it all out or write it out for something, I'm like, Seriously, Steph, why do you beat yourself up? You are doing a ridiculous amount sometimes. So just like lay off a little bit. Oh, 100%. I think that is we, we're all very good at forgetting how much we have achieved. And, yeah, and it's not yeah. until you, or, or how much you actually are doing. And sometimes there's this tendency that we always want more or we get impatient or we think, oh, I should be doing more. And it's only when we stop and go, oh, hang on a minute, or you have a conversation like this. And you say, yeah, actually, I really am doing a lot, you know. I think that's, that's yeah. so, so important that we do that. And you obviously are doing a lot, which is awesome. Um, so tell us then, tell us about the work that you do now and how like, I'd love to know how you do fit it all in and where you're sort of how you spend your days. But um, tell us about the Act for Ag then. Where did that come from? And how, was that what you, was that your project for the Women's Award or how did that come about? Was that already in, in play or tell us about Act for Ag? Yeah, so it was my project that I kind of put forward for the, um, the Agri-Futures Rural Women's Award, but it was something that I've been kind of I don't know, mulling over in my mind for the few years before that. I guess for us, like we've been in drought at home since 2018 or really even 2017 was when it dried up. Um, and through that time I was working, or I think I was also on maternity leave for a bit of that and started doing just a couple of community presentations here and there on looking after yourself and just realising I had kind of both the knowledge as a psychologist but also the knowledge of actually living on farm, living in drought, kind of knowing what the lived experience side was like as well. And so, yeah, as I seem to be this person that always takes on extra things, um, in I think it was 2018-19 I was on the committee for the Thriving Women's Conference, which is a rural women's conference in um, South Australia. So that was really awesome and I got um, just created networks and connections and quite a few of the women had been through the Rural Women's Award pro process as kind of winners or finalists so I've kind of had it on my radar and then 
2019, it was another drought. So 2018 and 19, we didn't have a harvest at all. Like we basically got a little bit of seed back and that was it, which meant I had a bit more time on my hands. I went, oh, okay, I've got nothing better to do with two kids. I'll put in an application for for this and see what happens. Um, And so that was, yeah, where I put the proposal for Act for Ag in, which is really around creating, I guess, a grassroots, more community focused um, approach to building mental health and so rather than a intervention or a therapy approach what I would love to see is just kind of these skills and ideas spread throughout our farming and our rural communities because I guess what I saw as a psychologist was that one our traditional mental health systems like there's there's such a need for them but we just can't meet the need in the way we're doing it at the moment there's not enough clinical um, trained people out there there's not enough people willing to move to the regions um, and even if there are services people aren't necessarily willing to engage with them as well so I went well why don't we try and build the skills up before people actually need them and so that was I guess really my approach for, for Act for Ag and so 2020 came along and I was yeah lucky enough to be the South Australian winner which was announced literally beginning of March, just before the world went crazy. Um, And I was pregnant with our third um, baby at the time as well. So for me, COVID probably worked in very well because it meant that the um, Rural Women's Award was extended for 12 months. So I could kind of have Darcy tell myself I was having some downtime, which I look back at what I did over the last 18 months and go, I didn't really do that either. Um, But, yeah, just kind of let that all flow along so I guess where it's developed to now is I've um, created basically a a printed toolkit so the idea is it sits on the coffee table or the kitchen table with a a handbook of tools but then also this this notepad which is really a framework for pulling apart everything in our heads Um, it's based on some frameworks that have been developed by other psychologists and really about building psychological flexibility which is a jargony way for basically saying being adaptable to challenging situations and doing what matters most even when it's tough um and so that's that's where I'm at at the moment plus kind of doing introductions to it in communities and then some um more in-depth workshops online um and then into 2022 just looking at how I can adapt that and make it more accessible as well. Um, so I was fortunate to win the um, Augusta Zato Award, which is a Safe Work SA award um, for South Australia. And that's basically funding towards a project to boost um, well-being of women and young people. And for mine, it's focused in agriculture. And so the aim with that is really around developing more of a subscription um, style so that we can kind of link people in and have an ongoing connection because I think you and I were talking about this before we started, that we all have these ideas of what we want to do, but without a bit of accountability or reminders, um, it tends to fall away. So that's what I want to set in place for people. So that's the the ongoing vision and I've just done a lot of talking. (laughs) Oh, I love the talking. It's awesome. And I'm just like just singing in my little mind here because I was just so excited by the work that you do. It just speaks to me so much and it's definitely what I try to advocate for and it's so good to hear you say that like the project that you've created an act bag is just incredible because something I think about and try to talk about and advocate for a lot is it's a lot about us being able to okay so yes life's really hard and it's really hard being farmers and everything's really challenging and the choices we make really matter 
And the things that we do and take responsibility for ourselves really matter. And it's it's always seems like there is, I agree with you, there's such this focus on, oh, we just need more doctors and we just need more psychologists and we just need more, you know, endpoint um, treatment and options and all that sort of stuff. And I'm always like, hang on a minute, there's so much that we can actually all do every day and take responsibility for ourselves to to stop us from actually getting to that point of needing all that all of those services. And it's been really, I found it really sort of challenging in the one hand because, as you probably know, I, I lost my dad to suicide. And so when you lose someone to that, it's like it's hard to kind of accept on the one hand that actually there is a lot that we can all do to take full responsibility for how we show up, but it's also really empowering. And so the work that you do is so important because you're actually giving people the skills and the tools and the sort of the connections to be able to do the work themselves. Like how important is that? Yeah, thank you. And I, I think it's also like removing removing it out of that mental health space because what I've found and I think there's almost become, I don't know how to describe it, like a bit of a division with a lot of the mental health awareness campaigns. It's almost like, oh, this is what it looks like and what you have to do if you have depression or this is what it looks like, how you have to help your mate if they're depressed. But I'm like, no, these are all things that we need to put in place all the time and particularly I think when it comes to stress um, and even like what the stats show is that I think particularly for men, like the people who sometimes who do end up suiciding don't always have a diagnosed mental health illness, like it's not because they had depression. And what I see in farming is like you're, you're coasting along at this kind of medium level of stress all the time anyway. And so then sometimes it just takes one thing and you're, up here and way off the charts instead of having a gradual build-up like there's not that gradual build-up all the time and so I I just go oh if we could just have the tools in place to help people exactly like you said manage that stress we can't get we can't get rid of so many of the stresses in farming Um, but there's also so many amazing things in farming as well and so helping people be able to recognize that and remember okay why why am I in ag like what's important to me in having raising my family like this or running my business like this and kind of coming back to that to be able to have those tools there to draw on in the tough times. Yes, absolutely. It's something else I think a lot about is this um, this concept of our identity as what we do. And what I've really noticed is that, it's, and, and this is true for pretty much everybody, but partic- in our society, particularly farmers, have this real sense of their identity as being a farmer. And so then their whole sense of self-worth is attached to how successful the farm is. And so then when we have a crappy year or we have crappy prices or there's a drought or, you know, floods or whatever, we farmers tend to take that on as they are a failure rather than just the farm's not doing so well this year. But it doesn't mean that I'm a failure as a person. And I think this is what I really, well, this is my interpretation of a part of what happened to dad as well, is that because the farm wasn't doing well, he thought he was a failure. And so for me, a lot of it, and and do, would you agree with this too? It's like it's a little bit about just normalising this conversation around people having to feel worthy just for being them, not because mm-hmm. they're a farmer. And if their farm fails, it's not that they're a bad or a failure or anything like that. Is that is that part of the conversation that you have as well? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And, like, I think, so I think, and it's for both genders. I think for men there is this tie and it, it kind of, 
runs across professions that men are very much tied to what they do but in farming just so much more like you you go to the show or the footy and people are talking about farming like my husband talks to his mates constantly on the phone and they're talking about farming like it's just it is part of who he is but it is yeah helping people break down and know that exactly like you said if the farm failed because the weather was shitty that's not on you you did everything you could and you are not your farm um but I think also for women we might not tie it so much to what's happened on the farm, but I know for myself personally, like there's times I pull myself up and go, okay, you're not worthy because of your achievements or what you're doing. Um, you, yeah, literally just worthy for being a person. Like I I realised, I think it was after the national announcement of the um, Rural Women's Award, which I didn't win, um, and Cara Peak, amazing at, from Western Australia is the national winner. And so it was this whole roller coaster of emotions around kind of relief of not having to do that and then the, the disappointment and then as a chronic high achiever, kind of that, I guess, yeah, um, whatever, all the mix of emotions that come up there. And I was like, no, that's all good. I can just take some time and really focus on the family and do this. And then a couple of days later, I find myself like looking at applications for the Drought Resilience Leaders programs or looking at applications for this. And I'm like, Steph, just stop. What are you doing? Um, And just having to really remind myself that I can just be, and I think particularly motherhood in that, if we go all around the (laughs) how many tangents we can go on, but that's probably been my biggest learning and struggle in motherhood in that putting the washing away, changing nappies, all of that stuff, it feels at the time so worthless kind of thing when you're just stuck in it, but it's so worthwhile. And, yeah, even though you can go through a whole day without feeling like you've got anything done, you're still worthwhile. You're still worthy at the end of it. So, Yes. <laughs> Speaking my language, Steph, this is what I talk yeah. about. <laughs> clients and like in my courses about now like and this is the work is to actually feel worthy just for being us and you know it's so funny it's almost like when someone hasn't thought about that or you can I don't know you're having these conversations with people it's almost like this little weight gets lifted off their shoulders and they're like oh oh yeah actually like I don't have to do anything and it's conceptually it's quite hard to when you first kind of think about this it's quite hard to grasp just be like oh but I'm worthy just for being me like what I've never been yeah. told that or, you know, I've always been told that I'm, I'm you know, that I'm graded on at school and then I'm graded at uni and then I'm graded on how successful I am in my job and, like, isn't doesn't that make me worthy, you know? And it's just, it's kind of, it's so enlightening and refreshing for people and I think the more that we can have these conversations and sort of highlight that, the better because, gosh, it can lead to a lot of heartache and sadness and stress and, you know, pain and often we don't really realise that we're caught up in that until it's, we're on that downward spiral, you know. So oh, it's just so important the yeah. work that they're doing. I love it so much. It's so, so good. So, yes, yeah. awesome, awesome. So tell us then what advice, you know, like at the moment, you know, this will probably go live in the middle of harvest. Harvest, goodness knows how long harvest is going to go on for this year because it keeps raining. So yeah. what's your advice on like someone who's at the moment going, oh, I am in overwhelm and things are looking pretty, like the harvest is not going to go to plan um, you know, I'm trying to, and, and especially mostly, most of our listeners are women, like trying to support their husbands through that as well. I think that is really, really challenging. And so what's your yeah. advice for like, 
<laughs> do act frag, obviously. Go and sign up for one of the courses first. <laughs> what else? <laughs> and so basically what advice would I give myself for the next two months? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. It is a really tough time and I think one just acknowledging that as well, that this is a really hard period and I think if you're not in farming, it's people don't necessarily get it as well. Um, like that, that's kind of probably taken me time to get around and all those times where like you turn up to Christmas do's and things as, yeah, constantly doing everything by yourself or now with kids in tow. Um, and then just having to put harvest above everything else because at the end of the day it is what brings the money in. Um, so I think there's this real... Um, I guess it's finding that firstly acknowledging, sorry, I'll try and keep myself on track without going too many tangents, but just That's starting to acknowledge. Go where <laughs> if we love the tangents. <laughs> starting to just acknowledge that. So when when you're feeling pissed off that you've got another phone call to go and pick up parts, then go, yep, I'm feeling pissed off right now. Or um, just actually recognizing it because that's 100% okay to feel that and then almost like just giving yourself space to make space for that so that's one of the really cool things around the trick of naming your feelings or naming your thoughts is that it just does make a bit of space for them there so if you go yeah I'm I'm having the thought that I wish harvest was over or I'm having the thought that why are we even farmers um instead of trying to get rid of them, you can just kind of have them there and then and then you can choose what you do next. So one thing that might be really helpful to do in a relatively quiet time or when you've got a bit of downtime is just taking a bit of time to think about, okay, what's actually most important to me? Who's most important to me? Um, so whether it is your husband, your kids, and then how you want to show up in those relationships. So for me, like when I think about my relationships, it's about being supportive, it's about being caring and it's about having fun. And when I get hooked up on all of the frustrations or this is so hard or this is unfair or I'm just too tired, I act in so many ways that are definitely not caring, fun or supportive. Um, but if I can kind of take that step back and go, okay, well, hang on, who's who's most important to me in this situation and trying to remember to keep myself in there as well, it then helps me go, okay, yeah, I can hop in the car and go and take some food out to my husband because he is actually working really long hours and that's something I can do to support him. But then thinking, okay, well, what can I do to look after myself along the same time? So I've, I was listening to like so many inspirational audiobooks and I've changed to basically listening to either fiction complete escapism ones or just yeah just fun fun stuff as well and so it'll be put on that or put on the music in the car when I get the kids so that we're just having a dance around so that I can kind of do those things that we have to do but not with that um almost like that monster that sits inside your head kind of mulling over all the things that are shouldn't be like this or it shouldn't, um, yeah, it's just unfair. So, yeah, I guess that's really acknowledge those things that show up, make some space for it and then remember what matters most to you and then take steps towards what matters most to you. Um, but also probably underlying all of that is just finding a couple of ways to to fill your cup 
in there as well. So I came in in my ACFRAG program, I have um, a worksheet, which is basically some steps for filling your silos. And I went, actually, no, this is really important because it's the same as when at harvest time we have to get the crop in and we put some of that aside for seed for the next year. So if you come to harvest, ne- uh, if you come to seeding next year without any seed put in your silos, you're kind of screwed. And if you don't have fertilizer there, and if you don't have uh, your yeah, fuel and all of that stuff, you can't do seeding. Um, and it's exactly the same for us. Like we need to find those ways to put seed in our silos, um, whatever that looks like. And it doesn't have to be that we fill up our silo in one big bang because it's not possible for most of us to get two hours a day of self-care but you can just do little bits of time so it might just be taking five minutes to actually enjoy your cup of coffee or getting outside for five minutes just in little steps so really just breaking it down to be achievable and I think almost like particularly for women it comes back to that worthiness that we were talking about that it is like you are worth the five minutes 10 minutes out or an hour out like you you are worth doing that um or even I said to you like I had a nap before I jumped on the podcast today because my husband kind of made me but I'm like what the only reason I was holding myself back from doing that as much as I knew it was important was like no I've got book work to do or I should be putting the washing away or I should be doing all of this stuff um and he can see that I'm more productive if I do all that other stuff um but I'm like no I'll just push through and um Yeah, so just knowing that it is completely okay to take a bit of that downtime as well. Yes, it's the permission piece. It's like, yeah, because sometimes feeling worthy is really, really, really hard and we don't even know that that's actually the problem, that we don't, underlying everything else is that we don't feel worthy and we don't feel like we're enough. But it's this, it's something that Meg and I talk about a lot, my good friend Meg Durham, who have, you know, done a lot of work with is this permission piece. It's like giving ourselves permission to prioritise ourselves. And for so many people, that's the hardest part, you know, like we just, mm. and we didn't, well, again, we're not really even taught that it's okay to prioritise ourselves because we we think it's selfish. And we spend so much time, yeah, feeling like, oh, we should be doing all this stuff. But then it's actually just stopping and going and realising, like you said, that when we, and your husband notices, when you do do those things for yourself, then you're better not only for yourself, but for everyone around you. So it's so important. But it's so hard. Yeah. Why is it so important for it so hard for us to give ourselves permission to do things like that, Steph? What is it is it because society's told us it's wrong? I think it's just what we what we grow up with, what's been kind of the conversation in society for so long. Like I think particularly Western society in our industrialized world, like we're just so driven by productivity um and doing and like I I mean I look back at my childhood stuff I did so many extracurricular activities and learned every musical instrument under under the sun and just did so much stuff and I think looking back um I think some of it as well was that my parents were both working full-time, so doing extra for me meant probably less time that I was at home. Like, yeah, they could it fitted better around work and I just don't think we've got the support structures in place and things haven't really changed for families from 20 years ago. Like, it's really hard to have work plus family and then throw farming in where it's kind of 24-7 work. Um 
yeah, it's a it's a hard thing. And I find like even with my kids, they see my husband working so hard. And then my um my oldest, he he's definitely a worker, like working and doing things for a purpose is his happy place. So um, or he'll be like, right, we've got to clean up. And I'm like, no, you can play before you clean up. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's just kind of creating that dialogue and and remembering that it's okay to to slow down but I think we've just got such a long um such a long mental I can't think of the the words for it but it's like a community society-wide structure in place and it's it's starting to get chipped away I think the last few years have kind of shown us that and there's lots of stuff now coming up in social media but I think it's it's kind of recognising that it's it's not going to shift overnight and even for ourselves, like you'd probably know the same, like just as much as we we know logically that we're worthy no matter what, um, still those emotions still come up or you get hooked back into old habits of behaviour or um, and then it's kind of just letting yourself off the hook for when that happens because I think what happens so often is we get hooked then into this this cycle of it's like I know I'm worthy and so then why aren't I doing this and then you start beating yourself up and then it just cycles downwards so one of my other things I probably try and do a lot of is just a bit more of a compassionate approach and just practicing compassion for myself and compassion for my kids and my husband which I probably don't always do so well um but yeah, that that idea, I guess, of everyone's doing the best they can, um, and recognizing that, yeah, it is it is okay, and we can do things differently. But where we are at the moment is okay as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's. The, I was thinking about too, like we've glorified busy so much as well. That's the thing. Like something I talk about a lot as well is that we've. We've got this culture where if, you, if you're not busy, then you're not successful. And we've attached, you know, how busy someone is to how successful they are. And the busier someone is, they must be doing really well. But in actual fact, what is that costing them? What is that busy costing their their mental health and their relationships and their everything around them? And, you know, it's I think the more we can stop glorifying busy, the better. Like, you know, I make a big effort to try to not be busy, you know, and to not because it's just it's just the go-to. Like, oh, how are you going? Oh, busy. Yeah. So busy. Yeah. Um, so giving yourself permission to rest and slow down when that, when everyone around you is, you know, busy is, is really hard. It's very brave and courageous to actually do that. So I'm so glad that you shared that you had a nap just before you came on here, because that gives permission (laughs) for other women to then go, oh, well, it's okay to have a nap in the middle of the day. Of course it is, but we just have to, you know, and if we don't see examples of that happening, then we don't think it's okay, you know, so the more we can share that, the better. I think that's. Yeah, so awesome. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And so much great advice there, I think. And I think, you know, do you, would you agree that actually the hardest step is having the awareness, like the noticing? You know, like you were saying, yeah. um, it's really important just to be aware when you're having those thoughts and that sort of stuff. But I don't know about you, but for me in the very beginning, the noticing and the awareness was the hardest part. So yeah, absolutely. How to kind of start to notice your thoughts more? I mean, I use meditation. I know meditation is a really yeah. good tool. Have you got any other ways? Is it just, is it stopping? Like how how do we start to become more aware of our thoughts? 
Yeah, so I think there's kind of, and it's that noticing is pretty much the the core of the ACTFRAG work and um, in my notepads, like the, the little centrepiece is basically noticing because we can't do any of the rest unless we are noticing and aware. And it is, it's, it's a muscle that we really need to, to build up because I think we, we generally spend so much time on autopilot and something I talk about a lot is that our autopilot developed for a reason. Like if we were actually conscious and aware of everything we were trying to do, our brains just don't have capacity to do that. Like we'd be worn out by the time we finish making our coffee in the morning. Um, so we have autopilot for a reason. But then it's, yeah, starting to build this awareness muscle. So, yeah, meditation or mindfulness. So doing like guided practices is really fantastic. Um, but I I kind of advocate for two sides. So doing the guided practices, but then also finding like incidental ways of bringing that in um, to your practice every day. So it might be just picking one or two of the daily activities that you do every day, whether it's making a coffee or having a shower, um, given that there's so many women, mostly women listening, when I was preparing for um, I think both my second and third birth, one of the things I actually did was going to the toilet mindfully um, because it's one of the things you can actually ways you can mindfully prepare for birth Are you um, doing but, yeah 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 um but it's it kind of we can do anything with awareness so just really noticing the sensation so when you jump in the shower instead of just letting your mind range through all the things you haven't done for the day or everything you've got to do for the week ahead just being really aware of the sound of the water the smell of the soap the sensation on your skin um, and just taking those few minutes of building those noticing skills um and then also just kind of whether it's setting some reminders like sticking sticky notes around the house or putting a reminder to ding on your phone to just kind of check in and go right where's my mind at right now? And so you can kind of catch yourself and go, oh, yeah, I'm here in the present outside kicking the footy with my kids or actually I'm thinking about what happened two weeks ago and replaying that argument in my head and I'm not anywhere in the present. So just starting to get those practices in. And so then it can start to be. And what it, it takes a lot of practice of kind of doing it in those cool times before you can put it in place in the hot times kind of thing. Like I still find I'll have an argument with my husband and then I'll be afterwards still going over it and it, it still takes me as much as I've been trying to practice this stuff for ages. Like I'll get hooked up in those those conversations and I'm having an argument with him and he hasn't even been in the house for five hours. Like it's still just going over. Um, so just building that skill to be able to catch that because then once you notice it, then you can do something different. Yes, it's almost like magic, I reckon. Once you can, once you have that skill in place, once you can catch your thoughts really quickly and shift them, it's like a magic trick. Because you know, I remember being stuck in negative cycle past thought patterns and having those conversations over and over and over in your head for like, I mean, I was in those places for years before I had any awareness of what was going on. And then, like, it's so freeing and it's just so revolutionary when you can actually notice your thoughts quickly stop them and shift them into something else that's more empowering it's just so so powerful but it does take like I love that you said it's work and it's practice and it's like you know you're building up a muscle because it does take time and it's just a matter of again it's also just a matter of normalizing that this is something that you have to do you know that's why your work again is so important because it's it's saying to people you can't be expected to know how to do this stuff if you don't learn how to do it 
and you just something you have to practice. So I think it's, yeah, such great advice. You're full of so much good advice. <laughs> something else that was coming up to ask me, ask you about, Steph, is about this, like, when you were talking before about harvest, it's like, you know how it, it's easy to slip into resentment, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for a lot of women particularly. So, and I was thinking about how, it, is it unfair? Like it can, it seems a bit unfair and like from a feminist perspective and all that kind of stuff, it's like why is it that the farm has to come first? You know, like sometimes I think about this too when I see, I mean, our harvest with avocados is a little bit different because it takes a bit longer and it's not as stressful. You don't have those like we have to get this off before the rain kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's like what? how do you have reasonable boundaries like what is what are the boundaries that are okay to have during harvest when it's really busy and like what can you expect from your husband and what's reasonable to expect like do you just have to throw all the balls in the air and go well it's harvest forget about anything to do with me or anything else just this is the priority or is it okay and reasonable to expect some you know limits or what you can expect so that you don't go into resentment like how do you manage that 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 is something that I'm interested in understanding better (laughs) Yeah, that is so big and I think something that is big for me often but is big for so many of us women on farm because, yeah, it is different, I think. I mean, I have no idea what it was like 50 years ago because I didn't come from farming but there still would have been a whole lot of pressure. But I think particularly now there's there really is this, drive like we want to do other things so many of us have careers there's this huge groundswell of all the amazing things that rural women are doing um but at the same time life is going on on the other hand and the the balance hasn't evened out completely to to kind of make the the balls picked up on the other side I don't know mix those metaphors up um we get it (laughs) yeah I think it's it's kind of managing the the short term with the long term and I think in some ways harvest in particular is probably different for every situation and I think that's where coming back to okay (coughs) what matters most to me including yourself in that picture when you're looking at what matters most to me and then starting to act towards those values so what I've kind of found is that even when resentment shows up I can I kind of get a choice in either acting in pretty resentful ways which might look like I still go and get the lunch ready and I chuck it in the lunchbox and I grump and I and just go round and round in my head which leads to this downward spiral in me just feeling so much worse or I go, right, here's resentment, here's its ugly head again, Um, check back in, okay, what's most important to me? And that idea, yeah, I still probably on the outside do the same thing, Um, but because I kind of acknowledge it, and, yeah, I guess it comes back to that acknowledging it again, coming back to what's important. And then what I find long-term is, one, I'm kind of better off for it. Like I might still be doing the same things on the outside, but my experience of it has been completely different. And then there's not that flow on effect that my mood flows onto the kids then flows onto my husband and we all get stuck in that cycle together. Um, but also, again, I think talking about things in those those cool times. So if he gets home at 11 o'clock at night, that's not the time to talk about, hey, can you make sure you take your lunch tomorrow because I don't want to be bringing it out to you. Um, 
but finding those ways in the cooler periods to go, look, how can we make this work or setting setting boundaries in because I think it is really important that we we do set boundaries in there because a lot of the time the farm will survive if we're not available for a couple of hours. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's a clear-cut answer, unfortunately. Like I know personally for us because we've had like really three what is it, 2018, 19, 20, we didn't make any money from harvest and we've got a humongous debt. Um, so it's like literally we both signed the lo- signed the dotted line for those debts. So I know that, yeah, we have to put the harvest first because it is mine and my husband's farm. Like it's not a extended family farm or anything like that. So, but I know in other situations it might be different where you might not be quite as involved in the farm. And so then you're left in like this limbo position of you can't do, you feel like you can't do anything, but you're also not actively involved. And so I think potentially in those positions, it's still really finding ways to get your cup filled up and that it, yeah, again, it is okay for you to say going to town to go to play group, even though harvest is on or mm. whatever it might be. And I think, I'm going off again, but starting to break down some of those expectations that we put ourselves on. Like I'm in um, Steph Trethewey's Motherland chat group um, and in the the Facebook group and some of the, like it's all women and mums on farms and I just look at some of the conversations of like, right, we've I've got three kids under six or whatever or I'm, I'm due to have my third baby and we've got harvest coming up so how can I prepare meals for 12 men for the next two months or and I just look and I go and it's there's so many women doing these phenomenal things and it's so expected but I think if we don't start to put the boundaries in place like things won't be expected any differently either like as I speak I kind of get reminded um both my kids were born or all of my kids were born basically in shearing time and after my second was born it was literally like three or four weeks after he was born and one night Simon came in and he's like oh can you just come and help me shift some wool bales oh no can you come and help me up at the shearing shed so I went up there and we ended up loading wool bales onto the back of the ute and I came back and my parents were staying with us for a couple of weeks and mum's like, Steph, I love you, but you are an idiot. Um, she's like, you are the only one who can put boundaries around your pelvic floor. Like Simon doesn't have any idea on what is going on there. But And I think it's kind of the same, like if we don't start putting some of those boundaries in place and go, look, I, I just can't do all of this. Or, um, yeah, there's so many women sacrificing their well-being for doing just so much more than is okay um, to be expected. Um, so I think I've just gone whole roundabout, but it's, oh. again, probably something I think we need a societal shift at the same time of doing things personally. So if we get hooked up in that resentment of this isn't fair and I need to put my boundaries in, that can become more detrimental to us in the short term than acknowledging it and doing what matters to us in that short term, but long term, it's also putting those boundaries and creating some shifts in there. So I think it's a short-term, long-term. Oh, that was so good. Like I just love what <laughs> you were saying there. So, <laughs> so, so much in that. I think I loved what you said because I think this is sometimes women tell me what they're doing. I'm like, well, why are you cooking lunch for the shearers? Like why would you still be doing that? Or like why do you need, if you've had three babies and you just, 
what's going on there? Why do we normalize that the woman should have to cook meals for 12 men? Like just get some help. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. And I think I think that breaking down of getting the help as well. Like it's something I'm really big at. Like we've got a cleaner and she was coming every week, but I've actually changed to every fortnight over harvest so that we're not having to clean up every week before she comes. Yeah. Um but yeah. like that it is a hundred percent okay or like we provide food for shearers but they get fruit sandwiches like it's nothing fancy and shop-bought cake and or like a shop-bought lasagna so you can you don't have to have the cream puffs or like we can cut corners or through harvest my kids eat way more hot chips than we probably um than we should but it's just going you, you do what you do that works um and I think it, it comes to that um Bridget, who was on the the podcast with all of us a while ago, talks about like that idea of some of the balls are glass and some of the balls are rubber. So it's working out which balls you can let bounce and which balls are the glass ones. Yeah. And that comes back to our sense of worthiness and our sense of who we are. And we a lot of women tend to and we can easily attach our identity to well I make the best sponge cake and I make the best lunches and if I just get the dinners done then I'm okay you know like so it's really breaking down that you don't have to cook lunch for everybody to be worthy you are worthy just for being you like this is where it comes in for women and and this is what we see and it's all that sort of like keeping up the appearances a lot of the time it's like well but what is that costing you to do that is the question that I would ask like what is that costing you your mental health your sense of self, your, you know, what you're actually, the magic that you want to bring to the world even, you know. And I could talk to you all day, Steph, but there was another thing that came (laughs) up when you were talking about that was, so I like the the idea of the short-term and long-term and acknowledging that during harvest it's going to be hectic. Maybe this is something that could help as well. It's like, righto, we just acknowledge that harvest is crazy. But then when it's not harvest and everything's not as urgent, how can we then work together a bit more as a team or how can I ask more of my husband or my partner or whatever, so that it's not, yeah. it doesn't need to be, like you said, like that all the time. And sometimes yeah. what you can see yeah. is just there's this acceptance that, oh, well, it's always busy on the farm. We always have to work 100 hours and that's just how it is. But, like, can we bring in yeah. some more boundaries around, all right, well, at certain periods, and that's what we've tried to do on our farm too, is like, and I try to give Tim that leeway when it's harvest and and I step up more and just do everything, <laughs> you know, not everything, but I take on all the kid stuff and that during harvest but then the rest of the time I expect him to step up a bit more you know so that then I can have more time for my things and the other thing I wanted to ask you on that was then in those off times do you think it's been important for you to have your own thing as well and like to have the space to do that yeah I think absolutely so like after I had had our oldest I well I kind of developed postnatal depression first and then I took an extra year of maternity leave like I kind of took two years maternity leave and then I was like no look there's so much going on with farm and motherhood like I can just do all of this and then probably like 18 months into that, I was like no no this is not for me um like I I am not a full-time stay-at-home mum I take my hats off to them and they are amazing um but it is not me and my kids and me are all a lot worse off for doing that so yeah for me having something that I'm doing for me um is really really important so like my my youngest two are in childcare three days a week Ted's at school now so I've got my my three days which they they zoom past but and for me it's a juggle like I'm doing farm book work and all the farm stuff in there and I kind of 
found the last six months like I've been prioritizing my act frag stuff and then all of a sudden got really really behind with the farm stuff and so it's had to be this kind of step of recognizing okay no the farm stuff is it, it might not be what I enjoy and love but it is still just is important and learning to get that satisfaction from that um but yeah I think in whatever form that looks like so for some it might be work in some way but and then again it's I think it's normalising that even if you're not back at work or not working but you've got young kids, it is still 100% okay to not have your kids with you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, we don't have a huge amount of hands-on, like regular hands-on help from in-laws and my parents are down in Adelaide so they come up occasionally when they can. Um, but I think for me that's one of those things about taking the curtain off. Like I go, okay, I don't know who's got parents or um, in-laws or whatever that have their kids once a week or once a fortnight, whatever, all of that extra help is on hand. Like we just don't know what other people have, have got in there. Um, but, yeah, I think just normalising that it's it's okay for us and it's probably not just okay but it's really important for us not to just be a mum or not to just be a wife all the time. And even if you find huge satisfaction in that mum role you can still take that hat off and do something else so like for me I um set up our local CWA branch and the best thing probably about most likely being the president for life is that (laughs) once a month um whatever happens Simon knows that that's the night that he is home with the boys or um they do go to my in-laws or they they go somewhere else and I just head out the door and and he will sometimes get home like five minutes before we have to leave but they are they are everyone's favorite night probably because the boys love that one-on-one time with dad um and because it's forced into the diary it has to happen whereas before I we set up the branch it just yeah, as much as we knew it's important, it doesn't happen. Mm, yes, yeah, such great advice is having things set like that. I think that's, yeah. Yeah, and I think that I think also that can help with the resentment piece because if you're doing something for yourself and, and you actually feel like you are achieving the things that you want to do and you're getting time to yourself and all that, then it's, 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 it's a lot, it's less likely that you'll slip into that resentment and you won't be, you know, because you, you are doing the things that you need to do. So, I think it's really important yeah. to prioritize that as well. And again, just giving ourselves permission to prioritize that. And it's okay to have all those boundaries and oh, there's so much good stuff that you've shared today that I just love hearing about. And I think it's so important for women to hear. Um, so we always like to I always like to wrap up, Steph, with sort of what what well-being practices do you use? Like I think I love to chat about, you know, what we're all doing and if we are doing anything or how we are managing to, because I think again, it's a lot easier to have awareness, to prioritize ourselves to have boundaries if we are implementing some practices um, and yeah. taking care of ourselves, which, of course, we, is also part of prioritising. We have to prioritise taking, taking care of ourselves. But could you share with us some things that you you at least try to do um, in your yeah. life to maintain your well-being? Yeah, mine are very much just the little steps, like which I I have great intentions of doing more, but I also recognise for myself at this chapter of life where I'm at with like seven, four and one-year-old and life just being busy, um, that it's okay to just have these little things. So it's just as simple as a glass of lemon, warm lemon water in the morning and trying like it, it still might be that I have sips of that between doing everything else but when I'm doing that just trying to be mindful um, of it and I did have a practice of 
just literally trying to do two sudden salutations in the morning and that kind of fell away and I'm like no that it it helped so just getting that back in um and yeah I guess probably the the other thing I'm trying to do is one just remember the values and then find ways to to bring that in so like um remembering that it's okay to have fun with my kids like I think um I get so annoyed at my husband because I'm always the naggy one and he can just come in and play with them and then get them to do stuff and I'm like no Steph you can do that as well so just if they say let's have a dance party I'm like okay yeah we can have a dance party and so that's a probably it's a work in progresses and constant reminders um oh and journaling is the other one that I try and it's always when I realize I haven't done it for a while so it's just kind of got my notebooks next to the bed and um jot down a couple of things that might have happened but then try and put in a few things that I'm grateful um for as well so that probably over the years I've had that as a as a regular practice and it's a good way one I think there's a thing of like if you're grateful then you can't be grumpy or whatever it is like it's it's not a quick fix for everything and I think sometimes gratitude gets put up there of oh if you're just grateful then it gets rid of everything it doesn't but it is a really important a a really good practice just to put in there and it starts shining a light like I'll find when I write the things down it's like I'm grateful for the look on Darcy's face when it was covered in ice cream or whatever like it's not and then I realize oh I'm not grateful for getting 15 likes on my social media post it's it just helps kind of put that in perspective. Yes. Oh, that's, I hadn't, yeah, that's a really good perspective, actually. I love that. I think they're great tips. Thank you for sharing those. Um, such great advice today, Steph. It's been so valuable. And like, I could really just sit and talk to you all day about all this stuff. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> the same. It just, I just love it so much. And yeah, we just, yeah, speaking my language and just so on the same wavelength with everything that you're doing. So I just, yeah, thank you for so much for sharing all of that. I think this will be such a great episode and super helpful for so many people. And I just love this normalizing that, you know, it's okay to prioritize yourself. It's really important. And in actual fact, it's, it's the opposite of selfish. It's, it's, it's selfless yeah. when you prioritize yourself because actually you show up better for yourself and everyone around you. And it's so important. So Thank you so much for doing the work that you do Um, and thank you so much for your time today. I am so, so grateful that you were here with me and, and doing this and thank you to all of our listeners as well. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you. It's been so, it's been awesome. So yeah, thank you. Uh, Thank you. See you guys.